1: We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this.
0: Welcome back, everyone, uh, to this episode of Strange by Nature. I'm really excited. Excited Are you excited? I'm also obviously very excited, but we have a special guest with us today. We Um, do. ah! So we have a friend of the show, as well as a friend of ours. His name is Jared Klopp. You want to say hi?
1: Hi, everyone. We're excited to have Jared here because Jared, you know, is or was, has been, is trained as a professional naturalist. We have Mm -hmm. worked with Jared in the past. And Jared made a leap that uh, some people in our profession choose to do. You are no longer working... I guess as a professional naturalist, tell us what you're doing now.
2: I am now currently a high school biology teacher and I teach biology, general AP. And then next year, or this coming fall, I'll be
1: teaching environmental science. Building the future scientists of America, Mm -hmm. one at a time, well, about 30 or so at a time, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, roughly. (laughs) Well, it's super Goodness. cool to have you here uh, on the show to share some of your uh, naturalist and biological knowledge with all of our, our listeners out there, so thanks for coming on.
0: Yeah. Thanks so excited.: We'll get to yeah. hear
1: more from Jared in just a moment here. I think Rachel, you're kicking things off this week, right?
0: I am, actually. And you know, this is one of those episodes that I've been sitting on. And it finally feels like it's uh, the time. And I held this in. You've been
1: incubating it?
0: I have. And can I just say, (laughs) uh, so before the show, Kirk made a comment about the shirt that he's wearing. And I had to hold back. Um, (gasps) Kirk, your shirt says uh, unicorns are real, right?
1: It is. I got my unicorns are real shirt on from the band Cuckoo Kangaroo. Check them out. So
0: let's talk about like the unicorn of the ocean.
1: Oh my God. We're talking <laughs>
0: about narwhals. Oh, yeah. yeah, we're talking about narwhals.
1: Awesome. All
0: right. So, a general description here if uh, you don't actually know what a narwhal is, it is a whale. Uh, it's closely related, it's most closely related to beluga whales. So, think a porpoise mm-hmm. shape with a rounded head and no like dorsal fin. So, no fin on the back. Uh, It's very Mm -hmm. smooth on its back, I guess.
1: Yeah, I almost picture it almost like like a seal or something, kind of, you know?
0: Right, just elongated and much larger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they range from 13 to 18 feet long, which is... Much larger than... A, that's just their body size, by the way. Yeah. Um, that's when you see just, a
1: picture, you, you, you think, oh, this is like cute little thing. It's a cute little big. thing.
0: No, they're giant. They're they're about the same size as a blue whale, actually. And wow. their, their skin is actually a more mottled black-brown on like a gray-white background on their skin. Yeah. And as they get older, they actually become more and more white. Uh, so you can tell a general age from... A narwhal based on how white their skin is, which is pretty cool. Oh,
1: interesting. I did not know that.
0: Yeah. And narwhals actually generally can live to up to 50 years, which is much longer than I was expecting. And it takes males much longer to reach sexual maturity than it does females. Females, it's like five to eight years versus males, it's like 11 to 13 Anyway. Now,
1: what's what's fascinating here is anyone who doesn't know the narwhal is <laughs> is right now going, what? Is, why is she talking about this? And what does it have to do with? Who unicorns? cares about narwhal,
0: narwhals? Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, so, one thing I would definitely want to touch on too is that they are specialized to live in the Arctic Ocean. Once more, I'm diving down deep into the ocean uh, with the as narwhals. As far from Australia
1: as you can get, pretty much.
0: Pretty much. But what makes this fascinating is when I said dive into the ocean, I mean, they, I'm not doing the diving, but they will because they dive Correct. at least 800 meters or 2,620 feet deep.
1: Oof. It's pretty deep. Pretty deep. That's, that's at deep. least,
0: that's minimum. minimum. They can dive up to 1,500, yeah. 1500 meters or 4,920 feet.
1: Oh man, that is, that's very Whoa. deep. Yes, I believe and for reference that's about how deep the Titanic is. So
0: thereabouts, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, little you know, current events. Uh, yep. <laughs> there, but we'll, we'll, no need to go into that.
0: Now these dives don't last super long. They can hold their breath. They're about twenty-five minutes long, but they do these Jeez. dives. <laughs> Okay, super long, still long time, (laughs) right? I'm like a (laughs) minute, I'm like,
2: 25 minutes, two minutes, yeah.
0: And But the thing is, they do these dives over 10 times a day. So they go down to those levels and back up, down, back up. That sounds exhausting personally, but good Mm -hmm. for them. Now, let's talk about the reason why they found their way onto this show. Yes, that's so cool. So narwhals are a toothed (laughs) whale. So they're in the same family as like orcas or other porpoises. Yeah, yeah. But narwhals don't technically have any teeth in their mouth. There's no teeth. Interesting. Jared's face is amazing. He just looks so confused. They don't have any teeth. But they do... Not in
1: their mouth. Not in their
0: mouth. (laughs)
2: I was going to say. Yes. yes. Okay, okay. Males,
0: and this is generally only males that have this, have a single tusk, which is actually a specialized tooth, and it grows in a clockwise spiral out of the upper left jaw of the narwhal, like through the bone, through the skin and everything, out. (laughs) And it's just one side. And these teeth, this tusk, can get over... Three meters long, ranging. Doesn't make from any sense. What's that? <laughs> 4.9 to 10 feet in length.
1: It's like pretty much as big as the entire animal.
0: More or less, yeah. Yeah. So give a little a context. <laughs> it's a tooth. This tooth is almost, almost two whole Rachels. In wow. Size. That's,
1: yeah, that's a good measure. That's a good yes. form in the, of In reference. the standard unit of the podcast, yes. Mm-hmm. Two Rachels.
0: Oh, but sometimes, you remember how I mentioned how is the upper left side of the narwhal? Well, sometimes about one in every 500 will have a second tusk out the right side.
1: I did not know that. Okay.
0: Yeah, so they can have two tusks. And generally speaking, this is just the males that have tusks, but every once in a while, a female will also grow a tusk.
1: Sure, sure.
0: It happens, but but why, right? Like we want to know why. Why, why would this indeed. narwhal? Why would do narwhals have this absurdly long tusk, this tooth that literally goes through its skin and everything? Just, whoosh, you know.
1: And it's it's a you know anytime you see that in animals, you know that's a huge expense to grow something like that. Just oh, absolutely. Even energy wise, you're you're carrying that around with you. Probably not as hard in the ocean as it would be on land, but still, like you know.
0: I mean, navigation-wise, I mean, it is shown that males actually don't live as long as females when it comes to the narwhal species. So, and it is very expensive for them to be able to grow a tooth that long. Well, the short answer is scientists don't definitively know.
1: Right, some ideas, <laughs> right? Woo!
0: Yeah! <laughs> uh... Most, the the general consensus at the moment is that it is, because it's mostly exclusive to male narwhals, it's most likely a sort of secondary sexual trait, uh, kind of like mm-hmm. an antlers of a deer or the feathers of a bird, things like that. Odds are leaning in that favor.
1: However- yeah, I remember hearing though that like, wasn't it that, People thought, oh, they're like fighting with them and stuff. They're not. Yeah, they're oh. definitely not. Imagine fighting with your teeth, like oh, God. banging your teeth on someone else's teeth. That would be so painful.
0: <laughs>
2: it's, not well, an antler. It's, it's not a horn. jaw against stuff. Well,
0: Kirk, it's funny yeah. that you bring that up because uh, the, the tusk is actually to go into what you were just talking about. The tusk yeah. has been shown to actually serve as a type of communication tool. So it's covered, that whole swirly mess that goes like 10 feet out is covered with millions of nerve endings.
1: Right, right. I remember hearing about that. They discovered that and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, don't don't hit those together.
0: (laughs) No, that that hurts. That hurts a lot. (laughs) Definitely not
1: fighting with those.
0: (laughs) So it's thought when they are like fighting or it looks like they're Mm -hmm. battling it out or duking it out with other male narwhals, They're Mm -hmm. actually sharing and communicating information about the water and the environment around them because they're able to get uh, information about the environment and the water from where they've traveled and they're able to communicate that with the other narwhal when they're touched tusks like that. Wow. It's so so weird. They've also been found, narwhals have also been found in 2016 they saw a drone was able to capture footage of a narwhal using the tusk to actually tap Mm -hmm. and stun their prey uh, to make it easier to catch. So we are still learning a lot about narwhal. We don't know a ton. They're pretty, like, reclusive. They dive down Mm -hmm. really far and everything, and where they tend to be is not easy for humans and scientists to study in the first place, and they don't do well in captivity. So... We don't know as much as we probably want to, but I definitely wanted to cover the actual unicorn of the sea today. So that's what so, I've got. So, awesome. <laughs> so we're going to take a break. And when we return, we get to hear from Jared.
1: Woo! All right. Yeah. Hey, everybody, before we get back to the show, I wanted to uh, mention something. We got a comment, uh, actually, from one of our patrons, Mish Irish. Hey, Mish. Hey. Yeah, yeah I, I love I love when people have comments. And Mish added something to one of our shows, which is very cool. Um, a couple weeks ago, we did the show about, uh, talked about scurvy and like how oh, goats yeah. don't get scurvy and whatnot, and on how humans are one of the few animals that has to have vitamin C in their diet. We can't make our own. And mm-hmm. Mish chimed in uh, over on the um podbean app saying that guinea pigs also require vitamin C added to their diet and they're the only non-primate mm. that she knows of that actually needs vitamin C as well. So that's a really Wild. cool little fact. I love that we have still all these curious, wonderful people listening, like all of you who share the tidbits with us or have comments. Um, You know, Mish is one of our um, patrons, so thank you for doing that. But also, you know, anybody can send us a comment, especially if you're on the Podbean app. app. I know a lot of you use Podbean. Um, There is a little comment like right now at the bottom of the screen where it says add Add comment, you can add a comment to the show right now and tell us what you think or something you want to share or a cool thing you know or a question you have and we would love to to see those. We always love to hear from you guys. If you don't use Podbean and you want to get a hold of us, you can also reach us at contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. So we hope to hear from you guys soon. Uh, we're going to get back to the show and hear from Jared. See you in a minute.
2: All right, welcome back everyone. Um, today I have some strange fungi Ooh. found in the sulfur pools of Yellowstone that could replace meat. What?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: there is Hold so that. much going on in that <laughs> sentence. Hold oh that. my gosh. So first, I know, right? first of all, that's why it's we, pretty we strange. We
0: start with a fungus, which is already yep. very exciting. Then you bring up Yellowstone, which we've talked we about go to a handful y- sulfur, of sulfur, which forth. is famously not sulfur. edible. Yeah, and now you're saying it could replace meat.
1: This is Jerry. I have questions. A Please go on. There.
2: Oh, and it's in space right now. We'll get what? To that um, <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. okay. Okay, okay. So a little bit of background. After school was done, finished up last day, uh, I had to race out to Montana to go to some weddings in Bozeman and then down to Colorado. And, of course, as a biology teacher, I got to stop at... All the national parks. 100%. Along the way. From Bozeman to Boulder. Yeah, right. So from Bozeman to Boulder, we stopped at Yellowstone. Good. Of course. Uh-huh. Uh, the Check. Tetons Check. and Rocky Mountain National Check. Park. Oh, I love Rocky Mountain. The only thing, the only thing I wanted to see was Grand Prismatic Pool. Oh, yeah. I just think it's super mm-hmm. cool. It's very cool. The bacteria that causes the colors and everything was super awesome. Um, and it was really cold when we went. And you know, when heat oh, and yeah. cold mix. Hmm. I literally could not see the pool. Oh no! But, oh, but not I thought you were going to say it was really
1: cool. because oh, no. It was all steamy. No, I just couldn't see it. Oh, it's so beautiful. No, I couldn't yeah. see a darn thing. That sounds like my trip
0: to see Mount Rushmore. Like we went, I saw it from the road as we drove by, like bef- the night before, and then we went up, and it was just a. We were in a cloud bank, saw absolutely nothing. Off in the
1: distance, <laughs> yeah. Here's here's right? the thing. This is a little a okay. little little bonus for all of our listeners. <laughs> uh, if if. If you want to see have the experience of visiting Mount Rushmore, here's what you, here's what you want to do. Uh, buy a postcard of Mount Rushmore mm-hmm. or just a picture <laughs> you get on the internet. Hold it uh about an arm's length away <laughs> and look that's at it. Nice. Huh? And that's about what you see when you're there. That's yep. about how big it is. It's just these tiny little uh faces of American presidents carved into a sacred mountain without permission. Yep. Uh and ah. it's 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 it, for me, I'll tell you, was it, when I was a kid, it was an incredibly underwhelming experience because it's mm-hmm. you're like, oh, it's so far away. It's just these little faces mm-hmm. in the distance. So maybe even have a friend hold that postcard about eight feet away, and that's about what you see.
0: Hey, we found goats I was say, and Funny things, thing so. is,
1: yeah, that's more exciting. I bought a postcard
2: after it. I bought a postcard after yeah. because I couldn't see right. it anyway. So, yeah, I get that.
0: Mm-hmm. I'll just hold it. Just hold it out and you're good and
1: to go. Oh, I'm sorry. Prismatic. That was, well, we are digressing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about the rest of your trip. <laughs> okay. Jared, right. you okay.
0: absolutely even, should I'm go back, gonna, though.
2: I'm not even, oh, yeah, oh, I've seen it before, but I'll see it again. Definitely. Um, but I'm not even talking about the bacteria or like the colors in the pool. But researchers back in 2009 found a fungus growing in Gram Prismatic.
0: That's that's wild, Which is pretty
2: interesting. Yeah. Because normally we think of like fungus and mushrooms growing like in our yards and uh, on a hiking trail or something like that. A tree or,
1: yeah.
0: There's usually like a temperature uh, gradient that fungus can even grow in too. Like it's usually not that hot.
1: It's not hot. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Right.
2: Not hot at all. Um, But this extremophile, I guess we can... Mm -hmm. a fungus that grows in extreme environments Mm -hmm. or whatever, uh, was growing in these sulfur pools. Very Uh low acidity and very high temperatures. Um, So a guy named Mark Cosball was working with Montana State University and NASA actually funded the project, but they, they found this fungus growing in Grand Prismatic. And they were super interested in it because it's growing in this essentially desolate low-nutrient space with no soil, no dead organisms to feed on, like traditional, what we know as modern fungi to grow on. I can see why
1: NASA's like, oh, really? Mm
0: -hmm. Well,
1: yeah, we'll
2: get into the NASA thing, but they're like, oh, Mars isn't like Earth. Maybe we should check some other environments that might not be like Earth. So let's check in these sulfur pools. and (laughs) And they had full... Full support of the national park right. and everything, so mm-hmm. everything was on the up and up. And <laughs> don't just video. go dipping in, yeah. <laughs> no, don't just go. No. When we were there, some guy lost his hat, and luckily, like no one went in and grabbed it. But yeah, don't go, don't go. Oh.
0: The
1: yeah, someone um, got in big trouble a couple of years ago for like going for a hike right through it. So, oh my mm-hmm.
2: gosh. Um, just moving forward, mushrooms and and fungus that that grow in your yard and that you can see are like the fruiting bodies, yeah. what we call the fruiting bodies of the mushroom. So they're like the apples on the apple tree. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. What we're really kind of focusing on here is the hyphae, H-Y-P-H-A-E, mm-hmm. and then it forms this mycelium network, which is all the thread-like material underneath the soil that's growing throughout that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you can and think of it like the like root the system, the whereas the mushrooms are yeah. like the, yeah. Yeah. Right. the fruit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, they were hoping, actually, the researchers weren't even looking at this, but they found that this fungi called Fusarium strain, uh, Flava lapis, is a very fun name. That is a very um, fun um, name.
0: Sounds like a muppet.
2: Was, I know, (laughs) was actually, was actually edible, uh, once they, they got it to grow. Um, The fungus or the muppet? Well, I've never tried eating a Muppet before, but I have had a few mushrooms in my day. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this fungus Um, was edible. Yep. Um, They formed a a company um, devoted to trying to develop this fungi into a more sustainable way uh, to produce protein. Mm -hmm. I'll get into that in a second. Um, Essentially, what they do with this fungus is they put some of that mycelium onto a cookie sheet. Okay, and they douse some vinegar and add some nitrogen to it, and then stick it in like an upright industrial cooker Mm -hmm. for a bunch of hours. And when they pull it out, they've got this whole mycelium network on this cookie sheet. It's essentially like fruit leather texture covering the entire cookie sheet. Oh, okay. So it's forming like a mushroom, right? Okay. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. All right. A mat of material there. Um, and what's really cool is since it, they're cooking it, I guess, they're growing it right. in such a high acidic environment and um, at high temperatures, they don't need any antibiotics, hormones, or pesticides to, like, um, get rid of any bacteria or stuff bonus. that's growing right. bonus, in that yeah. system. Yeah, so it's very clean mm-hmm. um, in that regard. Um, and so... The final product is about 45% protein.
0: Whoa.
2: So super dense. Yeah. Nice. Uh, 15 to 25% fiber. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. Another 5 to 15% carbohydrates, 5 to 10 fat, and then less than 1% sugar, which is, I think, a very low percentage. I
0: agree, that sounds does actually. Sound pretty low.
2: Well. <laughs> so it must... Whoa. But what doesn't it doesn't taste good. like cotton candy, then.
0: <laughs> no. No.
2: No. No. Ah, uh, the NASA website said it tastes like chicken,
1: though.
2: Oh, oh, doesn't. I don't know if they're just saying that, I think or chicken is just a bland
1: texture you know, thing. Chicken might, like texture, I think, is. Chicken what okay. is like texture. Okay, that's texture. very different than chicken like flavor. Very <laughs> different than <laughs> taste. Yeah, you're right. You're right.
0: Because right. if it's the texture of chicken, and then it could have like it would probably, I would assume it would taste mushroomy, but maybe not. What does a mushroom taste like? Gosh. Depends well, on you the picture mushroom. Yeah,
1: yeah. You, you, you dice some of this up, you get one of those little, uh, you know, ramen packets, mm-hmm. sprinkle that on, and boom, flavor town. <laughs> Chicken flavor. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, through the
2: research and everything, they discovered it was a, a complete protein. Uh, oh, A nice. complete protein is a protein that produces all 20 amino acids um, found in nature. So complete, mm-hmm. got all the amino acids, where incomplete only produces certain amino acids. Right? Mm-hmm. Very cool what's very helpful is that we as humans actually rely on like animal products to use and produce nine of those essential amino acids in our body. We don't produce them on our own. Mm -hmm. Right. So we've had to rely on animal products and other, some incomplete proteins like plant products like spinach and stuff like that Mm -hmm. as supplement for the amino acids we need to build muscle and to grow. And so this complete protein fungi, um, is super important and they're actually looking at it as a sustainable way to reduce waste and uh, form a more sustainable practice instead of animal products instead of beef pork poultry cool that we're producing on mass scales right now um and so that's how this fungi is trying to you know slide in and replace meat a little bit in that result that's so cool um yeah Yeah. And to think it was there the whole and, time. I know.
1: Hiding under our sulfur filled noses. <laughs> and yeah. When you smell that sulfur, you're not like, mmm, yum. Tasty. <laughs> like, I bet there's some food around here.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, and actually, there are some products out there right now. They've got cream cheese and meatless, like breakfast patties, like sausage really? patties, not sausage, air yeah, quotes, yeah. sausage but yeah so they're out there right now um, i would be willing Let's to try, try this to
0: a mushroom supplement your fungus, amino
1: acids yeah
0: a fungus based cream cheese i don't know if mm-hmm. i can get it where i live I live in <laughs> it's hard nowhere. to wrap my head
1: around that but yeah
0: <laughs> but that's so cool i felt
2: like i should have tried it before getting on the podcast but i didn't have time to go out and grab it get any. a big smear really on a bagel and go to town mm-hmm. oh
1: mm-hmm.
0: that sounds delicious now
1: I'm hungry. It does. I, we should take a little bagel break here. A bagel break.
2: <laughs> Sorry, I did mention that uh, this fungus is also in space.
0: Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. It just flew Do up. tell.
2: It just flew up to the International Space Station. Um, it can fly? bioreactor.
1: That, well, <laughs> okay. I got... You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I was like this gets more amazing wow. all the
1: time.
0: <laughs> all right, That's so
1: they put it in a bioreactor. It's I took it up the space station. You're saying? Yep, took it up to the
2: space okay. station. They're trying since NASA, like, was the original funder right. of this um, product, or not product? Now it is, but yeah. uh, research mm-hmm. in Yellowstone. Um, they're trying to see if this fungi, since it's a protein with all those amino acids, they're trying to see if it can be used for long duration missions yeah. in space instead of. Trying to ship up meat, mm-hmm. which or
1: chickens would not live be chickens or don't do well yeah. in space. probably. <laughs> yeah, let's bring chickens into <laughs>
2: space. Um. So yeah, and yeah. that's what they're doing, and they're they're just trying to figure out a way to increase food production and get these key amino acids to populations across the planet that don't have um, access to necessarily some of those higher income. Uh, Resources. So that's so yeah, cool. Pretty cool, fun guy. Cool. Thanks for sharing. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Jared.
2: That all came from NASA articles, National Institute of Health article on the safety of it, uh, Nature Finds website, which is the um, company that started it, and then a food navigator website, too.
0: Awesome.
1: Very excellent. Well, we'll take another quick break and we'll be right back with me.
0: Oh, dear. He's introducing himself now.
1: Who knows? Here we go. Oh, God. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, There's actually a really interesting connection, Jared, between my story and yours. See if you can find it. Uh, I happen to be a fairly regular reader of of Reddit uh, because it's like a fabulous group of communities where people share their knowledge and you can often find the answers to questions you're looking for. Reddit helped me fix and troubleshoot our 3D printer, for example, just this week. Uh, Nice. The opposite can also be true, though. Uh, On a site where people can share anything they want, you also get an interesting glimpse into the limits of human knowledge, or at least the limits of knowledge of specific humans who confidently post incorrect information. Uh, (laughs) I found (laughs) one recent post there... Uh, interesting because a redditor asked a question and the question itself contained a fundamentally, fundamentally incorrect premise, but one that I'm going to guess is pretty common. The question was about evolution and it was actually a pretty interesting question. uh, And one that is actually hotly debated. So at its basic level, uh, what the person wanted to know was if there was life on other planets, would it follow the same basic rules of evolution and create similar-looking life as we have on Earth?
0: A great mm-hmm. question.
1: Oh, amazing question. Amazing question. Like, and it's something that's that's
0: where, that, Just to be like a, a little bit of a nerd, that's where like the Slitheen yeah. from Doctor Who, like they're <laughs> a, a silicone-based life form and they don't or look a sili- like silicone, humans. silicon, not silicone. silicone. That would be... Right.
1: That'd be all right. rubbery, but yeah. Right, and, that, and, and looking at, you know, that's because you know we have carbon-based life on Earth, but when we look at the math and the chemistry and whatnot, we go, you know what? You, It wouldn't be as efficient, but you probably could have life mm-hmm. that was silicon-based as its basic underlying architecture rather than carbon. So very cool stuff. Um, a subset of this question could also be, will life everywhere be similar to life on Earth because life on Earth followed the simplest path of existing, and that will probably nearly always be the case. That the simplest way to do it is probably how it gets done. So if we mm-hmm. assume that life on Earth followed the path of least resistance, we would assume life on other planets or worlds would probably most likely also follow the path of least resistance, assuming it had access to all of the um biochemical blocks that it needed for life. So right. you know, <clears throat> for example, if we were to find life on another planet in our solar system, or even further away, would it still use DNA? Like, Mm. given Mm. the basic building blocks of life, is DNA inevitable? Or could some other system of genetics be possible? Uh, In December 2020, a sample of the asteroid uh, Ryugu was returned to Earth as part of the Japanese Hayabusa 2 mission, and the pristine sample was analyzed, and researchers found more than 10 types of of amino acids in this Whoa. this asteroid, Jared. Have you spotted the connection to your topic there yet? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah amino
2: that acids. Was pretty obvious there. Yeah. <laughs> so interestingly,
1: <laughs> uh, glycine and L-alanine uh, were both found, and both of these are part of DNA. DNA. So we're starting to see evidence that some of the complex molecules necessary for life on Earth have also just self-arranged themselves in space. Turns out some of these things just. Naturally, come together in these ways because you know because of the chemistry of how these things all fit together. Mm -hmm. It seems like some combinations of elements and molecules just seem to be inevitable. And if that is true, then it perhaps makes sense that life would naturally use those molecules that are naturally abundantly present. Right.
0: Right. Mm -hmm.
1: One of my favorite examples of the self-arranging common molecules is ethyl formate or ethyl formate. Uh, scientists were able to t- detect it in the Sagittarius B2 cloud. This is like a giant cloud near the core of our galaxy that is 3 million times the mass of our own sun. Um, and as far as galactic cl- clouds go, it's actually fairly dense too. There were all kinds of molecules discovered. Uh, this is using spectroscopy. Not We didn't mm-hmm. go there. It's quite far away. We um, wish. But ethyl uh, formate is one of my favorites because it is what gives the flavor and smell to raspberries. Uh, So, this huge interstellar gas cloud could literally smell like like raspberries. raspberries. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, Which is, it's amazing. Uh, That also means that it could
0: taste like raspberries. I mean, if you
1: could somehow lick an interstellar no. cloud, I guess. I mean, if I can no.
0: smell the interstellar cloud, then I can lick it.
1: We'll see, Rachel. We talked about this because I did a whole story one week <laughs> about what smell or what space smells like. Right. Um yeah. And I, I didn't mention this one in particular, but uh, so I guess you could consider this like a little bonus, uh, you know, update on that particular episode. I'll give the same reminder now that I did then, though, and that's if you find yourself in space don't Mm -hmm. take your helmet off to smell things because you will die. (laughs) I said Uh, it then, I'll say it now. I think it's pretty sound advice. But back to our topic, Uh, there is an argument to be made that because the basic building blocks of life, starting with like basic elements, then working up to amino acids, because those are all the same and universal, if you will, then DNA may just be sort of the natural way those amino acids self-assemble. And if DNA is a basic unit, which I want to point out has not been proven, but if it were to be, uh, then we start to say, well, what about like viruses and bacteria? Mm -hmm. Do their structures like naturally follow? Because those are the simplest things we can make out of DNA. And if so, how far up that ladder of evolution can you climb before you start to reach like unrecognizable biologies? Like, for instance, Mm -hmm. is photosynthesis kind of inevitable? Is that like the best way to to do that are things like ATP to power cells inevitable. Uh, And this is what the field of exobiology or astrobiology is trying to, I'll say study, or like grapple with the ideas of what might be out there, what forms of life could exist. We know that life is most likely to be carbon-based, like I said, because carbon is just so abundant in the universe and it's so good at making other things. Uh, And we know that water is also very common And also useful to life. So, odds are that any life we find will probably make use of carbon and make use of or need water. Uh, We know that energy transfer will be needed for life. So, there needs to be some way to do that. Might be how life on Earth does it, might not be. And uh, one of the big questions then is is life on Earth the easiest form of life, or is it like needlessly complex that it just happened? Right. (laughs) Happened out (laughs) this way, right? Um, Do the basic underlying elements and physical rules of physics and chemistry make certain types of life more likely than others? And The answer is probably yes. We're trying to figure out, like, to what degree. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a really fascinating area of study. And obviously, since we have yet to discover life elsewhere, a lot of the work is sort of theoretical until we have Mm -hmm. something to to compare it to. Although we can look at, like, extremophiles, like Jared mentioned, here on Earth. Things are living in radically different environments and possibly have slightly different biologies. Mm. Um, I can say that some astrobiologists believe it likely that we will encounter viral life on other planets. They say, you know, that seems Mm. pretty like, yeah. If you ask a lot of them, they're like, yeah, there's probably viral life out there. That'd be the most likely thing to encounter since we think DNA is probably pretty likely just to sort of self-assemble itself. Um, But when you get to cellular life, that could be much rarer because that's such a leap mm-hmm. in complexity. Uh, this is obviously up for debate, but um I, I, I bet if I was to bet in terms of like probability, uh, the experts in the field currently think that viral life may be, and I don't want to use the word inevitable, but let's say fairly likely. Mm-hmm. And once you go past that level of complexity, though, the odds of everything coming together correctly or at least the same way it did on Earth is is going to be less likely. Mm-hmm. I think this topic is... Fascinating. But I started talking about a Redditor asking a question that outlined the limits of their knowledge. And the actual right. question and then they you asking, gave
0: asking... Right, and then you gave us an existential crisis again. Well,
1: <laughs> you know... Yeah, slightly concerned now. The, I was trying to say that, that the, the underlying sort of like impulse of the question was really good. Um, but what they were asking was, are humans, or at least humanoids, inevitable? Like if you're thinking hmm. about like aliens and stuff, right? That they're going to look like bipedal human-like stuff, like a lot of right. our depictions, you know, right. do in pop right. culture. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's an okay question to ask, but their reasoning for asking was that they knew that humans are the peak of evolution. No. The most evolved <laughs> species on Earth. <laughs> so, and, and you're laughing, but this is a common misconception.
0: Yeah, um, it, it is, is. And they really We're laughing because like, we know... <laughs>
1: Right. If we can find intelligent life or or essentially like aliens capable of communication and space travel, wouldn't it be logical to assume they would be sort of roughly humanoid if they're going to be at the Mm -hmm. peak of of evolution? And the question makes sense if you assume that humans are the ultimate product of evolution, uh, but it points to this sort of fundamental misunderstanding of what evolution is and how it works. Mm -hmm. And I think there's this common misconception that species evolve towards some goal. Right, like we are right. getting better and better and better, or more evolved. Oh, no. You couldn't see my, you know, my quotes, my fingers there, right? And we see this idea going back at least 2,300 years. Uh, when Aristotle, now Aristotle didn't know about uh, evolution. evolution, but you know, he had proposed his scala naturae or the great mm. chain of mm-hmm. being, which is a ladder with more and more complex animals as you go up, leading to, of course. Human at the tip of the ladder. (laughs) And once evolution was understood, I think some people wanted to apply it to this old ideal of this scala naturae. But this is this common understanding of the process is just completely wrong. There Mm -hmm. is no end goal to evolution. Humans are certainly intelligent, but we aren't the biggest or the strongest or the most resistant to disease or the least prone to injury. We aren't in, in like we aren't an inevitable uh end product of millions of years of refining we're just Mm -hmm. one possible combination and we can see from the diversity of life on earth that there are billions of other options out there each adapted to survive and reproduce and multiply as best they can in the environment they are found in and some of them have been around like multiple orders of magnitude longer than humans have been around humans are just like a
0: like blip like sharks right
1: yeah. Sharks. I know I can't turtles, live in a bacterial. No, right?
0: you can't. You can't.
1: Yeah. Fungi and yellowstone, Kirk. Come on. Ah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, but I think there is that common misunderstanding. Um, <clears throat> so like well, I truly it's a very
0: human centric focus when it, it comes is, to what evolution I, looks like.
1: Yeah. Right. And I think we often sometimes, no offense to Jared, because I'm sure he does a great job, but I think sometimes in school, (laughs) teachers don't always do the best job of explaining Uh evolution, um, or they're doing a great job and the students aren't paying attention. That's totally possible, too. Uh,
2: (laughs) I mean, I do a fantastic job. Yeah, you do a fantastic
1: job, I'm sure. I truly hope that I live long enough that that we will discover life off of Earth. Uh, The current odds are that it may resemble viral life, but even if it's cellular life, the odds of it looking like humans is extremely low simply because we're just one of the many ways life can self arrange. Right. And so if Mm -hmm. we're looking at the odds of life being similar everywhere, the odds are high for the most basic structures. But those odds diminish as you move up in complexity and we are quite complex as is much of the life on earth that we interact with. Um, But it's curious, like would things like photosynthesis be, is that a, you know, that, <clears throat> because that's one way to get energy, is that going to be a common thing we would see, you know, starting with like cyanobacteria or something like that. Once you get that mm-hmm. on a planet, well, where does it go from there? You know, how complex can it get? So we will keep looking. The real question, I guess, <laughs> is will something be looking back? Ooh. Whoa. Ooh, I don't know. Ooh, yeah. I don't know. It's more pretty, existential crisis. It's, yeah. uh, it's pretty yeah, interesting. I'm going
0: to add, I need to start a tally of how many Kirk has given me in the process of this show.
1: How many existential crises?
0: <laughs> yeah. It's at least four. Okay. Good. Good. Well,
1: I'm, I'm happy to keep it up. You know, I'll do my part. Look, that's what I got this week. I just really want to talk about astrobiology and uh, a little bit about sort of cool what's possible out there so it, it's, it's such a deep dive you could do an entire podcast just about astrobiology every single week mm-hmm. right so uh, yeah if it fascinates you check it i'm sure there's an astrobiology podcast i forgot to even look but um yeah it's it's a super cool topic Ugh. you know what's well, happened well, we've reached the end of the show
0: we have reached the end of the show oh, Man, i know it went
1: by really fast jared thank you for being here this week
0: thanks jared
1: Thanks for having me guys. It was fun to talk to you. Yeah, we'll have I know you've you had some of your...
0: your yeah.
1: I know you've had some of your students listen to the show, right? So maybe if some of them continue listening, mm-hmm. it's probably exciting to hear Mr. Klopp, you know, in the hot seat sharing his passions about weird stuff.
0: Mhm
2: definitely like weird stuff but by the time they uh, are done with me in may they're probably like oh i'm so glad i don't have to listen to them talking
1: <laughs> well they can listen to us talk so i appreciate i appreciate yeah. sending them our way <laughs> yeah. uh you guys have a pretty pretty awesome teacher we know that so thanks mm-hmm. for being on
0: yeah thanks Jerry. thanks guys yeah um we will all well kirk and i at least we'll see you next week thanks for listening bye
1: Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show.